0: Hey, guys, it's Ethan from Love Extremist Radio. We're living in a crazy time in history as this global pandemic spreads. Some of us have seen a massive increase in work responsibilities and life challenges. Others have seen a quieting down. If you're like me, you're looking to connect with community and find creative inspiration. With that vision in mind, I'll be publishing some of my favorite creators' work through Love Extremist Radio as bonus episodes. I hope you enjoy this additional programming from the Love Extremist community,
1: and please share if you do. I'm Phil America, artist and activist, and this is Conversations with Creativity. We're going to spend about an hour talking to different creatives every episode. It's meant to be casual, almost as if you're sitting in the living room with us. My next guest is Ginger Gonzaga. She's known for her roles in Showtime's Kidding, directed by Michael Gondry, an incredible director who, if you don't know, you should look into him. She's also in I'm Dying Up Here and the Dupless Brothers HBO series Togetherness and Room 104. She's in a whole bunch of other shows on ABC, TBS, and has some other stuff in the pipeline with Fox. She's an actor. She's a director. She's a writer. And I'm excited for this episode. Ginger, hi. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Um, okay. So I kind of just, you know, my process is always starting from the beginning of your process. So maybe you can kind of just tell me what the first, uh, your first step into, into creativity in your life was,
2: um, into creativity, I guess, Uh, um, uh, I, I don't know. I'm from Modesto, California, which is like, you know, there's just not much art there. but it's not uh,
1: anything there, unfortunately I've been that, there too many
2: times. you've been there yeah. yeah it's like um yeah I don't ever I don't really go back but um yeah you kind of have to like make your own um make your own stuff there and I, I I would like when I was younger my 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 dad's family is um from the Philippines so I had a lot of um Filipino family members that I would like impersonate and stuff and I just sort of like was weird and would dress up in character as my relatives and go like literally unsolicited door to door and kind of um do these bits for people, which is really weird in high school. This is at what age? This is like 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 six or seven. And then Yeah. And then I would and then I I had a friend, like I finally had like one really creative friend when I was eleven, my friend Christina and she and I would go to the grocery store and get really large refrigerator boxes, and then turn those into characters, and then just show up at people's doors, like inside them. So they would open their door and there would be like this really giant character. And she was weird. She was like one when we were 11 years old. So I was really tiny. She was this giant. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and So nobody else in your family was was creative, really, in terms of actually having a career?
2: No, no, not at all. My, my mom's an ESL teacher and my dad was an accountant and we, my brothers and I all, all played instruments, but, um, yeah, no one was in the arts.
1: Yeah. What what was the first point where you actually started to say, okay, I'm going to put my foot in at least one foot or both feet in and and really try to make a career out of it?
2: Um, I think, uh, it's funny. I, I listened to something Mike Judge said one time on a podcast and i it, it related to it he was saying like when you in the town that he grew up in it's like it just it wasn't like allowed like if you if you if you were dabbling in art it was like how dare you like why do you think you're going to do art like don't you know where the shit people are that's how he described it so it, was, mm-hmm. it it was in, it was weird to um to think of it as possibly being a career i always wanted to be on snl and i would and i would sing a lot but I I guess when I was in college I um I auditioned for the groundlings which at the time that's where everyone went to SNL I fed into SNL and I auditioned um like I don't know uh when I was 20 and I I got into the school so I graduated early so that I could go there but really what pushed me to actually pursue it was I did my final s- semester of college in China and I was just like Oh, like this is not for me. And yeah, I was just, it was crazy and and it was crazy on so many levels and but the biggest thing that bothered me was with the communism was the lack of art in China and the literally the inability to ever even say the phrase like I'm kidding. Like joking didn't exist. It wasn't a thing and and in, even in the one art class that I took there to try to be like, "Oh god, I need something" the goal of it was to recreate something that someone made 200 years ago. And it was like, I was just like, Oh man, this is, I'm not supposed to do this international law or whatever I thought I was going to do. Yeah.
1: That <laughs> where you were studying international law.
2: Yeah, pretty much like um, international relations. And then I was maybe going to go to law school. Um, and so, but then I, I literally just graduated early and then went to and studied at the groundlings.
1: Yeah. Did that, uh, did that, inform your work at all that you're doing now?
2: Um, not really. I look at it as oh, like college. <laughs> I think of it as such a waste of time because I wasn't doing what I should have been doing, but I'm, I'm grateful for college in, or I just as a, as a thing, because I feel like it's so good for, um, I I've, I've just noticed like, like, a, a lot of, um, I feel like in society now, there's like a, almost like a lack of critical thinking. And I think, oh, maybe that's maybe that's what college was good for or something. But um, for me, I wish I had just dropped out.
1: <laughs> Wait, um, one second, one second, pause. Is there um, it's not showing up that yours is recording, is it? Did you press the start recording button at the top?
2: Yeah, it says recording in progress. Oh, motherfucker. Wait, I
1: see, that, but there's no like wave. Of, I have a wave. Does it?
2: Yeah. It mine. And yours has a wave.
1: Oh, weird. It says recording in
2: progress. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. I should be fine then. Um,
2: okay.
1: Yeah. Sorry. I was just worried because it shows mine. It usually shows that the other one is recording as well, but.
2: Yeah. I think it's yours.
1: As long as it's recording on yours and that's all that matters.
2: Okay. Okay. Um, sorry to. Uh, no, I don't.
1: <laughs> all that good.
2: gold. Me saying um a million
1: times. No, I know. That's the <laughs> I'm like Um uh, and like. Anyhow. Okay. Um let me uh regroup where I was oh yeah so uh I asked if if anything um from then was kind of informing from that from your studies are informing like the work that you're doing now
2: yeah I mean it definitely didn't I mean I'm I'm yeah it really doesn't with as far as like getting into acting I what I liked about acting other than just my soul like needing to do this profession was the idea that I could always be studying and kind of I I haven't been able to apply international relations obviously but I can any character that I choose I can I can learn a new thing like I become like a lawyer so I kind of get involved in law at that time or I can if I'm a you know whatever like it, I, I it's almost like I get to have so many different professions but right. yeah but I really haven't used anything from school <laughs> from
1: college <laughs> unless you actually get a, a job or a, an acting job as a person who went to school for something they don't do anything with
2: yeah yeah I mean I could play that very well <laughs>
1: sure, very well so what what was the first like job I mean well first of all tell me about groundlings because groundlings is some is a place that I love but I think oh. a lot of people who don't know anything about the comedy world or the acting world improv world don't know what Groundlings is. So maybe tell people what that is and also kind of tell me a little bit about your experience.
2: Yeah. So it's a, uh, it's an improvisation school and, and that's the only acting I've ever uh, taken a class for is improv. And I, and I think that's all you really need, but it's um, the Groundlings in particular in comparison to other improv schools is very, very, very character based. um, And the goal is to have like a point of view. So I don't know when when you when you do improv, you're just up with a bunch of other actors and you're making everything up on the spot, and it requires a lot of trust and and I I love it so much. Like I get to go back and I do the Wednesday show a lot, which is called the Crazy Uncle Joe Show, and it's like a long form, super cerebral, super fast show, and a lot of people don't like doing it, and I love it. It's just like the most freeing game for your brain ever, and you get to be funny and silly, and it's it's the best. I don't know. It was it was a It was a great experience studying there because I had like my teachers were like Mindy Sterling who at the who I knew as Frau Farbissna from Austin Powers. So I I, it was it was crazy to me as someone that didn't know anything about acting. I just kind of went and auditioned. You know, I didn't know anything about this industry at all. So it was it was fun to have someone like her be one of my teachers.
1: Was there somebody that pushed you towards the groundlings? Because I mean, if you're gonna get into acting, you went straight (laughs) For the best place.
2: Oh, I'm so glad. You know, I just I really wanted to audition for SNL, and in high school I had been in competitive speech and debate, and we did have a a, a thing that you can compete in. In that is something called humorous interpretation, where you do a like a 12 person play all by yourself. So I had taught myself how to do that, and at the time I would go online and learn about who you know. At the time, everyone from the groundlings came from or everyone from SNL came from the groundlings. So I, I mean, just, still
1: come from there, right? What's that? I mean, there's still people who are oh, on the yeah. show. The
2: yeah, I just started after a while, it started going in waves because there were different improv schools and some would get more trendy and then they would get traction. And um, but it's it's the most invaluable experience that I've ever had, even in life. I, I try to encourage people to take an improv class, not a professional one, but it's it's the best.
1: I don't know. You need, you need a lot of bravery.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what
1: it is.
2: And that and I did a lot of stand up too at, when I first started um, acting. But it's really just the willingness to fail, and I have no problem doing that. And I I think that that's in I don't know. It's so invaluable. And I it's similar to like my. I think that every child should play a sport where they're required to fall. Like, I've noticed a difference with people that I've dated where I'm like, oh, you never did like gymnastics or you didn't skateboard. So you don't know like how to fall. And I would, you know, athletically, like they just just not in their body. But it's so great to have that, um, to know how to eat shit, basically. And that's what comedy teaches you. Yeah. Right.
1: Literally and metaphorically. I mean, people need to be prepared to fail and people need to be prepared to be rejected or they definitely won't make it as a a comic. No, no. Yeah. I and mean, even the best of them bomb from night from time to time, right,
2: yeah, and you can do the when I was doing a lot of stand up, I would be like, "Wait a second, this set killed at the improv, and then I'm at the comedy store, and no one's feeling it, and it's truly not different, <laughs> but it's just you you know learning how to adjust audience, to whatever right? that audience is, yeah. yeah
1: so then after ground i mean did you finish groundlings what was what, what was no, the, the no outcome? i
2: I only went up to like writer's lab, and then um I had this terrible writer's lab because at the time i didn't understand like i i still re- i'm getting better at it but i didn't understand the concept of like oh i'm just supposed to write for myself that's what this that's what this level is like i need to show myself off i need to like any good sketch is for me and i wouldn't do that i would like think of a cool sketch and i would give it to someone <laughs> and i would you know it was so stupid and then um yeah so i had a really bad writers lab just because i didn't understand that kind of it felt selfish to be like in in that mode but that's what you have to do like the whole point is to be like look this is what i can do i didn't really understand that um but thankfully i started working um i i'm i'm very fortunate to have been working since i was 25 so i started working very shortly after that and then i started working with a lot of the groundlings and that was more rewarding than anything and that's and i have a lot of relationships in
1: other them. spaces or like also or mostly at the groundlings
2: no, on television. So okay. I, I would start working with my teachers. So even Mindy Sterling, Frau Farbissina was my co star on legit, a show that I did for FX with Jim Jeffries. And it was just like, Oh, well, this is all I need to be doing. I just need to be working with my teachers. This is great.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean in years, right? I mean, people who you're you're coming up around and learning together and learning yeah. from.
3: Yeah, it's the best.
1: Absolutely. What what was your first what was your first job? in terms of acting or in terms of actually like creating <laughs>
2: um i think i i did i started in commercials i guess so my Ooh, very was very the first, first commercial? what's that
1: what was the first commercial <laughs>
2: my very first commercial was for soy joy nutrition bars and right. i um i'm like painfully authentic when i work and also wouldn't have known any better at the time so i ate Probably like if I don't like to be unauthentic, like I, I didn't under I didn't understand the concept of a spit bucket, so I was gonna be real in every take, and I ate probably like twenty five of these cardboard nutrition bars, and it was
1: it was were so, wonderful though They were wonderful, right?
2: Yeah, they were so great, and it and it was the weirdest thing because my audition they wanted me to be they wanted me to be funny, so I was just kind of improvising, and then later once I got the job. Like, I didn't understand the concept of an of a commercial audition. Like, I was only supposed to be in there for like 60 seconds and do something funny, but I just didn't stop. And they just kept rolling. So, and then they gave me the job and then they told me later, like, you know, you're not supposed to like monologue for 13 minutes, but nobody told me to shut up. So I, I just kept talking at my audition. But yeah, the commercial never even saw the light of day. <laughs>
1: It's, it never came out?
2: No, it didn't come out. I was like so proud. I was like, I'm the soy joy girl.
1: Soy um. joy, folks, better drop commercial. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they're holding on to it, just waiting until the right moment. You You're like, I
2: mean? now it's popping.
3: Yeah. The
1: second like the team is over. Boom, it's coming.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: So then what? More commercials before something a little more narrative? Or what, what was the next steps after that?
2: Yeah, I was doing more commercials. And I was also um, – I was also – uh coming in terms of being honest with myself that I was at the groundlings because I wanted to be an actor for some reason I had a shame associated with that and so it felt I felt like like I was more legit if I told myself that I was just at the groundlings because I was going to be a writer you know So while you
1: were there, you were telling people or you were telling yourself that you were you saw yourself as a writer only.
2: Yeah, I was like, Oh, I'm doing this because I'm gonna write for family guy and all you know, that was that at the time for some reason was my goal. And then um and then I started working in commercials a lot and and then guest starring on random television shows. And I also hosted a show that was like kind of like the soup called The Morning After, which was Hulu's first show ever. And it was just we reviewed television every, every day <laughs> and it was really fun and silly. And it, and it aired it every morning. What's that?
1: Is it still on there?
2: I don't think so. Yeah. It, we, we were, we ran for like, I think four years. I quit after two years and then they had like a rotating cast of hosts, but it was really easy. I just worked at night for like an hour and made jokes and, um, you know, hired some of my friends and that was, that was fun. Yeah.
1: Were the jokes written or was, were you just like riffing off of stuff in the moment?
2: Some of them would be written. Like we had a teleprompter, but then my co-host Brian and I would just, you know, be silly. Yeah.
1: Love that. Yeah. Where's fun. Brian at now? What's that? Where's Brian at now?
2: <laughs> I was just tweeting at him yesterday. He's still acting and he does a lot of voiceover too. He does a lot of video games. Like he does a ton wow. of video games. Um,
1: still, still doing it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And voiceover is a weird world to crack. So he's. Good on him.
1: I don't. I don't really play video games much, but I was playing uh last year some video game called like Far Cry. <laughs> what's and that one? There's like this. You're just driving around and running around, and I. I don't know. It's a complete <laughs> game. But the person on the radio the whole time is like kind of making all these really ridiculous jokes, but it's about like what's going on, and I think you're in Burma or somewhere. I can't really remember. Oh my god. But, I'm like that sounds like Hassan Minaj. and then I look it up, and it was. It so. is <laughs> it's so random, but anyhow, so yeah, have have you voiced over anything?
2: I voiced, uh, you know, I'll do some on Family Guy because I know those guys from. I, I was in the movie Ted, and so I'll do Family Guy every once in a while, and I'll do American Dad. I've done, yeah. I've done a video game, NBA 2K. I'm, I'm the girl in that. <laughs> So weird. I'm a, my history is that like I'm a ex basketball player or something bananas.
1: That's, you t- I know I think you told me about it before and you said you wear a cardigan or something. Yeah.
2: I I was like I I thought it was going to look like so dope and then when they showed the rendering I'm like this weird lady in a cardigan. I was like, "Oh, I didn't well, know does it looked nice like
1: character. you." <laughs> does it not look like you?
2: No, it looks like ugly me in a cardigan. And everyone else like Anthony Mackie is in it. All these all these famous people, Michael Rapaport, they look like themselves in it. I
3: look like <laughs> I look weird.
1: That's fucked up. We gotta yeah. we gotta protest. It's so yeah, chat, you know, something. <laughs> but so what? What's the experience like that in that versus actually just more traditional acting?
2: Well, that is bananas. It, if you do motion capture, you're acting in on a grid essentially. You're in a warehouse, and a car is made out of three pieces of PVC pipe and a couple pieces of tape. And it's crazy. Yeah, it's not it definitely isn't real, but also like doesn't have to be because they're just scanning your face and stuff. So I don't feel like I'm being dishonest. And it's also just video game dialogue. So good luck making that um sound super profound. Um I mean
1: that's way different in terms of a process then same thing like family guy right family guy you're just going into a booth and recording this they're actually like you're actually fully acting they're picking up on your your movements and your facial expressions and everything right
3: yeah it's
2: um yeah you are acting you are still acting it doesn't feel any it doesn't feel like i guess it's i guess i approach everything kind of the same um i guess what's weird about it uh is you're so like physically distant from the people. So you are kind of, you're hitting them, you're kind of hitting, it's a little less genuine, I guess is what it is. Cause you know, you just need to get, the rendering has to, the computer has to be doing certain things and you have to physically be in, in certain positions in order for them to catch you. So you're not even really looking at your actor, which is very bizarre. You're not making eye contact with them, which is like, you're basically acting to nothing. Yeah. Right, Which is like acting with a child once they've already worked an eight hour, eight hour a day and they're no allowed, they have to go home. Like I've acted with tennis balls that are supposed to be children, you know?
1: Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> but, but I mean, that's, that process of doing something is, is just kind of similar to what's going on in Groundlings. Like you, you're making things up. You're improving like in a in a sketch. You're pretending as though some, a car is there, even though there's actually nothing there at all. So
2: yeah.
1: that prepared you somewhat for for doing that, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, Groundlings is just it's funny because Groundlings is so. If you went to a regular sketch show, there you would be like, these characters are so over the top. But the skill set that it gives you is actually just to be, to truly be the Character like when I act, I don't. I am that person, and right. even if if it's really really big, I'm that person. And if it's really nuanced, like the work that I do with the Duplass brothers, I'm still not myself. I, I, but I consider myself that person very much. And I, I, I don't know. Gr- Groundlings is the only education I have in acting, so I don't know. I say I attribute it to that. I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you. Learn a lot there, but I'm sure you also learn a lot just in the process of actually working. Doing,
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's also nice to, um, kind of find like when I, when I first started, everyone wanted me on network and it was just like, I knew I didn't belong on network. I belonged on cable, but I got success in network. And I, I did like a show for ABC that I'm, I'm still grateful for. And it was a comedy, but it's like,
1: the mixology one
2: mixology yeah so it was written yeah. by the guys who wrote the hangover and and we were really lucky like larry charles directed us in our pilot he directed all of like bull rat and stuff like that and mm-hmm. um and that's still um it's still when i work on a network show i'm still approaching everything the way i would normally approach i just have less freedom and i don't like that and Thankfully, when I when I started working with the Duplass brothers, I it was the first time I was like, oh, I'm completely trusted. There aren't a million people at a network that are, you know, gonna weigh in for no freaking reason. Like these men just trust me, and I am free. Like Amanda, Pete, and I would we would improvise for four hours stuff that wasn't even in the script. And in one scene, we're at a party, and so. We got wasted and improvised, and it's a brilliant scene. It's just like there's no rules, and I like when there's no rules but um and so I get that on cable. but I will say I'm now on a new show for Fox, and the the director has treated me the way uh cable production would, and that means the world to me yeah
1: i mean why why do you think that is? Is it more of um because it has more corporate dollars behind it that are having influence over it, or like what is the reason? Yeah,
3: it's, it's just fear.
2: <laughs> it's like more of the, the there are more corporate dollars, but, you know, because of that, because it's, uh because networks have, you know, if they're owned by, you know, some major corporation or whatever, they just have more people to respond to, and they're more afraid to make any waves. And that's not how I work as a being, you know, so that's weird. And and I and in the past, there would also be kind of a misogynistic element to it, because I've been on shows in the past where like guys would be allowed to riff and improvise, but the girls weren't, and then they would like congratulate us like we were good girl scouts that knew our lines and would be like, "But what we wanna do what we do like and riff as well but that's that I don't experience that anymore at all, but there's just do a you lot think that
1: of that's because you've had more success, or do you think that that's because things are are shifting I mean there's always it's always been uh, a thing in Hollywood that they don't want women to have creative input in terms of, of the process. Right.
2: Yeah. I will say that I think that there is, um, a certain degree of a shift, but I've also, I am painfully selective in what I do to, you know, I, my managers probably hate it, but I've, I've made a lot of sacrifices and, 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 followed a certain path so that I can be in those positions where I'm allowed to be super free. And usually, Mm -hmm. you know, it's less money or it's less, you know, but I, that freedom is invaluable to me because I know the opposite of it. You know, I've been trapped on a series that, you know, didn't give me a lot of freedom and, and that doesn't, that doesn't feel good, you know?
1: So that's tough. I mean, you, I mean, for myself, I would just say it's, the things that really define me are the times that I've said no to things rather than the things that I have done Yeah. The done and the like things that I haven't associated myself with. And that must be so much harder in the field that you work in because I mean, I have full control for the most part over yeah, like nice. created and shown and things like that versus like, there's so many people with their hands in, in the process of making a film or a TV show that it's, you don't even know what it's going to look like until it's on TV.
2: Yeah. With, um, yeah, I think that, well, there is just so much power in saying, no, it's so great, but I I think that, that and I'm, uh, but I think that, you know, even though there's a lot of, uh, people involved in, in the creative process, I have specifically chosen teams that I know where, as long as I'm supported and, and people get what i do and they like that and they're signing up for that then then i i don't have any problem with anything because as far as an actor goes if, if they give me a bunch of freedom like they don't need to worry I'm going to give them a bunch of different versions but every version i'm feeling super comfortable and in my power and they can edit it all they want i still feel confident in what i was able to do and i feel confident in what is able i would to do because they were confident in me enough to to let me play, you know, and, 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 and truly, truly good directors and truly good teams. They just, they don't have that fear. So they, they trust every level of the art. You know, I trust my directors. I trust my fellow actors. You know, I think if if it gets too micromanaged, that's when it's a problem. Yeah.
1: I mean, what, how do you build that trust though? Is it them I mean, obviously you've worked with like duplicate brothers more than once. There's people I'm sure you've worked with multiple times, but I mean when it's when you walk into to a new set, for example, and you don't know anybody on on the set, like how do you build that trust? Is it looking at people's past projects? Is it like just looking at each other in the eyes and say, Okay, let's do this together? Like what where does that trust come from?
2: Yeah, I I personally don't look at a lot of people's work. Um, beforehand, I, I try to uh, try to avoid it. I just want to have my own experience. My how I work with my actors is I just want to be super vulnerable with them as a person in general and as a friend. And I I I develop relationships, proper relationships with my actors. And I'm usually a love interest. So that's happened a lot. So I I have like relationships with my actors I don't know how to explain it it's very you know I I feel very comfortable and and you know and I and I I can I can do that on the projects that I've that I've kind of handpicked like that that kind of approach doesn't really work on certain shows you know Um,
1: I say yes to everything (laughs) yeah yeah
2: so I I've found that like, even I will say like, so the Duplass brothers, the Duplass brothers vetted the shit out of me. Like I improvised a bunch in this audition and I think I came back like a million times. They didn't know me, but they vetted me extremely. But once they did, then they trusted me. They took me under their wing and I remember hearing Mark say, okay, let's just go improvise and like do what we do. And I realized like, oh, we're all supported and we're all allowed to just like let our brains run free with this beautiful script and just be alive and and exist as these people and and so yeah but as far as like just like a personal personal to the personal i i don't know it's it's really i guess love i love all hmm. i give love to my actors in i'm i'm very hyper aware so i can kind of see what people need as a person and as the character and i i I don't know, I'm very vulnerable when I work, so I think that they feel comfortable in that, and for example, like if it's a sex scene, I've done a lot of love scenes i like I don't like I was telling my friend this the other day like I don't like my I don't want the guy in
1: the drop to for one second oh, yeah. I have a question. Is uh is a love scene and a sex scene the same thing?
2: Yeah, I mean I call it a sex scene, but I'm I guess I'm supposed to call it a love scene. <laughs>
1: oh yeah, that's what that's the, that's the industry term.
2: I guess is that more appropriate? I don't know. It's a sex um, scene just, at the end of the day.
1: You're second, you said I've you know this, and then I all have done that, so I just want to know if it's. I know
2: I was correcting myself to be like, oh, I guess it's a love scene. It's like not always a love scene, <laughs> but in my in uh, sex scenes that I've chosen to do judiciously, um, like. I don't want my male actor to feel uncomfortable and I don't want him to feel like he can't be free. So like for example on I'm I was on I'm dying appear this show about the comedy store in the 70s and my scene partner is Clark Duke and I love him so much. And so we're like naked together and I just so I'll ask him if it's okay if I can like take his hands and just rub it all over my body real quick so that he understands that he has full permission to be a person, an actor, his character in the moment and touch me wherever he needs to touch me. And he can understand that I don't care. Cause at the end of the day, all I want this to look like is something super real, you know? Right. So, and, and that is, I I think appreciated, you know, but it's also like necessary for me anyhow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You build that trust, right. It's just yeah. those those steps. That's interesting though. These are just things that like, I think people who work in other creative fields just never think about, you know what I mean like really? I'm never thinking about having to just have some man or woman come touch my whole body and just, I know it yeah. It's, yeah. What,
3: it's
1: bizarre, the
3: and
2: there's other people around watching you at the same time. Yeah.
1: More, way too many, I'm sure. Um, yeah. was there was there mentors? Is there mentors?
2: I wish I had a mentor. I I Dude, I haven't really had mentors. Um Yeah, I, I actually had that thought this morning. I said, I wish I had a mentor. I don't know. Well, I were teachers
1: and friends. What yeah. It's yeah, I guess. I don't know.
2: I, I when I I feel like everyone is an equal or I consider myself an equal when I'm with all my actors. That's the only way you can um you can do good work. So I guess because I've never looked up to people really when I'm working with them, even though I respect everyone. Like it's very important to make sure that you, everyone feels on the same level. Otherwise it's not going to, it's not going to be professional. It's not going to be good. So I guess that's why maybe I don't have a mentor in
3: acting or whatever,
2: but, but I will say I have mentors for directing. So I'm, I'm very lucky, like working with Michelle Gondry on Showtime's Kidding. He's, a dream. I I love Michelle and Michelle has let me shadow him as a director. And I, I, I'm trying to direct more and it's invaluable to, um, to have someone like Michelle, um, allow me to um, shadow him. Yeah. So I guess I feel like I need a mentor when it comes to directing, but I also don't need one when it comes to acting.
1: Right. I mean, there's not a lot of actor directors, right? I mean, what most people are, I mean, there is a lot of writer actors, right? There is a lot of, writer directors but there's not a lot of actor directors what really made you want to want to shift over to also doing directing
2: um well I knew that I whenever I'm on a set I'm like directing in my head so I'm already like frustrated because I can tell that I have certain instincts and and as an actor you kind of you can chime in about how how what works for your character And, and there is like kind of like a directing element to that but I just um I've, I've I've directed like that short that I sent you and that I think this is where my need to direct comes in is that when I write I want to direct what I've written. I really have no desire to direct someone else's material. And I've been mm. asked like I know I could have you know directed something for TBS, but it's like what? I don't I don't need to do that, but I do need to protect what I wrote. So if I wrote it and I have all the images in my head, I'm not going to relinquish the power and give it to someone else to interpret. I wrote it, you know? So it's a need to protect what I wrote is why I direct. And, you know, if I sell a project, I always try to attach myself as a director because I want to protect what I wrote, yeah.
1: When you approach a project that you're writing versus that you're you're writing and directing, let's say, Versus a project that you're acting in is, is the approach different or is, is there a lot of similarities?
2: Um, <clears throat> wait, you mean if there's something,
3: wait, like if, you're,
1: if you get hired on to come, uh, act on a, on a show. Yeah. Versus if you wrote a show and then we're trying to sell it, is the, is the approach to the project similar, the same, or like very different?
2: Um, the approach as far as acting will always be the same if i'm acting and directing myself i have to overly prepare the directing so that i can be so that i can so i ginger the director can let ginger the actor be super free you know all those shots have to be completely you know meticulously planned out ahead of time and communicated with the cinematographer and then um but yeah i don't know if i'm if i'm writing something it's it's usually very personal um and yeah, I don't know. So I, I see my. I don't know. I, I don't know how to answer that.
1: <laughs> I, mean, I want to I rewind for a second. Do you, is there ever something you said no to that you regret? And Is there ever something that um, you said yes to that you regret? I mean, regrets may be a bad word, but let's say, let's say that you, you know, if you could go back in time, you would probably have given it a little more thought and maybe said the, said the opposite.
2: I don't. I don't think that I regret saying no to the things that I've said no to, but I do honor that it's not always wise to just do the most creatively fulfilling things as far as the business goes, you know? But for me, that feeds my soul. And that's, I mean, that's kind of all I care about. But I, Saying yes, I regret saying yes. I mean I don't want to say I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> we, don't you need, don't, we don't need to point at anybody, but, but yeah. I mean there are things that if you could go back in time you would, you know, maybe have done something else at that time instead.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I've 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 very I've been maybe overly controlling with what I choose. So I've kind of been, I've kind of been on a, a path that I like for myself. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I had an, I had a situation where when I was very young, I could have done like 22 episodes of a show that was already on, that was already picked up for 22 episodes on Nick at night. So that's like, you know, a million something dollars. And I was really young and, and that would have been cool but I still don't regret passing on that because I knew at the time I would have been a Nick at Night person, and good right. luck digging your good luck telling the Dupras brothers that you can do slice of life improv if you're the Nick at Night person. And when you sign those contracts that you're signing them for seven years, even though shows don't really go that far anymore, you're mm-hmm. still signing them for seven years. So,
1: oh shit, that's that's common in the industry.
2: Oh, that's everything. Every every network show when you choose it, you are potentially agreeing to be on something for seven years yeah
1: even if the show is terrible, even <laughs> like if is terrible. Moment, yeah it's-
2: and then you're trapped on that and yeah i don't want that experience
1: <laughs> yeah you don't want that, you don't need that. bigger and better things
3: <laughs> yeah so,
1: i mean is there when you're creating let's say whether it's you know acting and you're you're on a set or you're um at home alone writing is there is there other people? Is there other things you're inspired by uh, within your own industry?
2: In my own industry, yeah. I mean, mo- um, well, I love you know. As far as like directors go, like I really love Baz Luhrmann. I'm I got to work with John Malkovich recently. I really adore him. He's he's very inspiring. But I, for my own creativity, most of my inspiration is from like a historical need to explain something.
1: Mm. Yeah. It's interesting that you said it, you said something like that uh, earlier, just like feeling is that you have to do something. And yes. that's, it's a common theme that I hear from a lot of visual artists, but not many other folks. Oh really? So, yeah. It's interesting. It's like most artists and most great artists always feel that, as though they have to create, they have to express yeah. themselves. Then, you know, I, hear, I have a lot of friends who work in other creative fields and it's you know the graphic designer, the photographer or the musician it's not always that's that's not a thing that I hear often so oh
2: interesting well, I think that's also probably why I've been so selective because it's like I have to perform and get this info out in this way like
3: mm-hmm.
2: I, I can't necessarily do that on a multicam and if I'm writing it's you know a, a show that I sold that's you know i I had sold a show to HBO and then I lost my executives but I can, I can resell it right now. That was like, it's a, it's a, it has a mental health narrative to it. So that was very, that's very important to me to show in a very real and raw way, but also with in a way that is super funny because I think that that's how people can best digest it. So it just was so important for me to, to make a piece of, um, to write something that, um, very honestly depicted, um, mental health, you know, so that, so that people would, could identify
1: and feel less shame. And, and I don't know, you know, learn. What, What was it that got you interested in, in creating something around mental health?
2: Well, I have a lot of, I've had a lot of complex PTSD and I'm bipolar too. So it was mostly around my character in, in that show. If it, I think it'll have another life. I'm excited, but um, she's like a bipolar visual artist. And um, yeah, I just wanted to, I, I so often hear people misunderstand what bipolarity is or mistake it for, you know, a, a lot of people confuse bipolarity with what is really like a personality disorder. And also I just, it just crushes me like the level of shame. Like I know I have, I have amazing actor friends that are bipolar one who need lithium, who would have like literally have lost 10 years of their lives. And we've lost 10 years of their art because they weren't on lithium. And I, or I have like a a really close friend and her, or her brother is bipolar one as well. And it's like, she's he's from this wonderful educated family who's super charming and woke and like he's homeless
3: because mm.
2: of you know the the way the mental health there hasn't been proper mental health care and the changes of definitions have you know changed it so people can deny their own care when they're when they're on the streets and such so i don't know it's just i i'm frustrated by i'm frustrated by people's fear of a diagnosis because mm. i just like well,
1: they're, they're, not afraid, they're not afraid of that. They're they're afraid of the shame, right? And, and the back that they have to wear that comes with that.
2: Yeah, yeah. And yeah. So for me, like that show is kind of like um, I see it as the willingness to be judged so that other people will feel less judged and maybe help themselves or understand their kids or, you know, it's kind of like just trying to chip
3: away at the fear of that word.
2: Yeah.
1: And it has humor.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, everything that I make is very um I I like to do very light and dark. So it'll either be very dark with moments of levity, or this show is very, very funny, but with infused um real talk. Yeah.
1: Well as soon as I feel like anybody starts to talk about anything surrounding mental health, especially in this country but in most of the rest of the world as well, um, it's always devoid of personal warmth. So it's nice to have something that, you know, people can laugh and then feel disarmed and then actually take the issue serious. Yeah.
2: And see themselves. And it's funny. Like if you took all the characters from orange is New black, like all of those characters are diagnosable. They're just not right. being, they're just not saying, Oh, and you can, you can, you can take the office and I could diagnose each and every one of those characters, but no one's right. saying, Oh, this be- person has anxiety. They're acting that way because of a funny trauma. You know, it's like, so it's just kind of um, identifying it a, a little bit more.
3: Yeah
1: and having that conversation i mean that conversation and like you said people feeling as though they're they're heard and seen and and it's not just the same the same tropes we see all the time in hollywood
2: yeah and i i hope that i i want people to be able to 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 laugh and then see their experience in a in a character where it can be analogous and then they can kind of shake themselves out of it you know like my character's name is pepper and if someone has a really bad moment but they can. It, it reminds them of something from my show. They can be like, "Oh, I, I had such a pepper moment," and it's almost like, I don't know. They can they can chalk it up. I don't know. It's a uh, sometimes it's an easier way to digest things. Yeah,
1: And kidding is kind of that that high low as well, right? Like there's there's yeah. humor, but then there's this undercurrent of of sadness as well, and.
2: Yeah. It's so funny. Like that. I think that was originally like labeled as a comedy. And I'm like, I'm crying all throughout that show.
1: Right. So. <laughs> that much is for sure. Yeah. What, um, what, was the, what was the set you were on throughout your whole career thus far? That was, that was the one that shaped you the most.
3: Oh, that
2: shaped me. Um, um, probably um, togetherness with the Duplasses. Yeah. It's just a, a, a level of freedom. Um, I was
1: actually sure you were going to say the first commercial.
2: The first commercial where I <laughs> ate a million nutrition bars. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. For people
1: that don't know. Tell me. Tell me a little bit about the Duplass brothers.
2: Yeah. So they're um, Jay and Mark Duplass. They do a lot of what some people call dubbed mumblecore, but they do a lot of indie indie films um, where the actors get to improvise a lot, which is what I love to do. Um, and I really appreciate them because they hire kind people and, and they, they trust you and they, I don't know, they have a really unique uh, slice of life uh, levity to their um, to their projects. And also the actors that I work with when I work with them are always amazing. Melanie Linsky, I really love Amanda Pete, I love Steve Ziss's. I did a musical episode of Room 104 with Brian Tyree Henry from Atlanta. He was great. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, so they direct Michael Gondry directs. I mean, you're working with a lot of men um, as directors. Have you worked with a, a female director?
2: Yes. My favorite one is Minky Spyro and she directed on my opinion, the best episodes of kidding, which I don't even know if I was in the best one that she directed. I think she's in, she did uh, episodes. I don't know, five and eight, maybe. But she's the best. She's British and she's super prepared and she gets the type of artist that she's working with. Like, she yeah. knows I just want to be in it to win it. So there's no, you know, we have an easy way of talking and she knows she's not going to offend me. You know, it, I like people, I like directors that are really honest. Like, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Just like tell me what you want, you know, and then I can do my thing. But she's also just an amazing director. She's so good. Um Did you learn anything from her? Did I learn uh Yeah, I mean I learned I didn't get to shadow her. I tried um but she she went to do a series in the UK. I guess I don't know. You know what I love about her is I've worked with some other women directors and it and and she's Minky is so confident and she's not going to let anyone Treat her any differently, or walk in timidly, like oh, I hope they're nice to me because I'm, you know, women. Women generally, I think, you know, because some of those opportunities are so rare. Once you're allowed to do it, like you don't want to screw anything up, and you don't want to ruin it for other women. You know what I mean? So it's like you're still randomly forcing yourself to walk on eggshells that you don't really need to walk on. You just need to go in and own it. And she does that, like anyone else I've ever seen. You know, but then she's also super prepared and super creative and just. Dope. Like she just knows what she's doing in every sense of the word.
3: Yeah, she's the best.
1: That's incredible. Yeah. Is there uh is there other people from outside your industry who are influencing you or who, you know, maybe mentored you from afar that you never knew or who you pull inspiration from that actually informs the work that you're doing?
2: Um I like to look at uh I don't I don't know if they inf- I don't know. I don't really know what, what informs me other than like, um, like as far as like mostly what informs my work is like my mental health or like something historical. But for as far as like creating with visual stuff, like I really like, um, I'm really liking that Dutch artist, like Nimbus Smills or something. Do you know he does the clouds? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I just like, I'm like, yes, I want every moment in life to be some version of this, you know, it's, it's so beautiful. And, and I, like, if you, for people that don't know, it's like a, he'll he'll make a vapor cloud and take a picture of it, but the cloud will be somewhere like, you know, like a building and it's not supposed to be there. And I, I love, I always love when it's like seeing something visually. And I hope that I can put that into things that I make, but you know, something that, that's odd. Like a cloud isn't supposed to be that low, but how charming when it is that low, you yeah,
1: know, it works like nearly all indoors for people who don't know. Yeah. he's like literally making clouds inside of buildings.
2: Right. And how magical and why not? You know, that's amazing. But I will say, I think that the one thing that's not in that, that I usually um, expect in art, which you're so great at is just, just so much purpose.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: I, I, I'm like, I don't understand. I used to get very confused when I would read scripts and I'd be like, what is the point of this? Why are they spending like millions of dollars making this? But like your stuff has so much purpose and it, and it has such like a point and a message. And I like, what else is like, why else do art? And I, I was just on your website and like the, um, your homeless encampment art, encampment art installation. Mm-hmm. I, I love it so much. <laughs> it's, it's so great. Yeah,
1: it's, what's interesting about that is I've actually spoken a number of times uh, at theater departments at different schools mm-hmm. to acting students because, I mean, it's I essentially the project was I immersed myself in uh, the largest homeless encampment in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and, like, lived there and had a camp. Like, I had a tent set up and lived the same way as kind of everybody else. But um, it was a very uh, particular approach to, quote-unquote, acting because I wasn't – obviously – I'm putting myself in a space that I don't necessarily um, belong or don't need to be. And, you know, I'm myself, but I'm a character of myself. So yeah,
2: Wow. That's I, wild because that's kind of like when I used to do hidden camera, that's what I would do. I would like be in this, like I would go to tea party rallies as a character <laughs> and <laughs> live that life and lampoon that for a minute, which is so right.
1: Wild. Where were these at? Like, where was one of these rallies? Oh, my
2: God. This one, I'm so mad. At at a time where I had no money, I spent so much money on this, and then then I lost my hard drive. But for, like, three weekends in a row, when I thought it was Sasha Baron Cohen, I was going to Solvang Tea Party rallies, which is kind of near Santa Barbara. And, you know, it was all old people. It was so funny. I was so naive at the time. I'm like, all these people are going to die. And then Trump just kind of absorbed them into the Republican Party. But
1: yeah was that, was that the city that Solveg is the uh is like the Swedish town right? yeah
2: yeah and it's so, so funny they would have all these tea party rallies and then they were so old and they would get hot by 11 a.m and they would go home <laughs> yeah but it was so wild like I I I became friends with them and then but I actually I don't like that art form of hidden camera because you end up lying to people like even though you're exposing some truth with the satire you're still lying and I don't like that Hmm.
1: Something Baron Cohen's about, about uh, Showtime show. What's that? What is what's the sh- uh, Sasha oh, Baron what Cohen? It's
2: called? Is
1: this is America or something.
2: Yeah, it's great, and 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 he is showing what he needs to show. I, I love Sasha Baron Cohen. I really do. I grapple with it because you, in order to get in, in order to get those shots, you really have to. You have to become something that I've kind of been a victim of, which is like I I dated this like sociopath in my early twenties, and he he would like lie and kind of mani- manipulate these situations, and and I I saw that that's what was necessary for that art form, for the social, Sa- right. you know, you have to like become friends with these people, and you have to earn their trust, which is yucky, you know.
3: Yeah. So I I want to I want to earn my trust
2: genuinely with my fellow actors, but you're doing these to regular people, and it's like yeah, I'm gonna expose that they're racist, right? But there's still I don't know. I when I did those Tea Party rallies like they you know, those I got them to say a lot of funny stuff and they said a lot of really gross things. My boyfriend at the time was pretending to be part of the College Republicans, so he was like filming and they didn't know that I was associated with him and he's Jewish and they would say things like that, you know, they loved the Holocaust and stuff like that. So mm. it, it was it was
3: it was awful. Yeah. Well,
1: but, you know. Yeah. I mean that's I mean, a lot of the the most horrific things that uh come to light come because people uh put on that fake mask and go in there and are willing to be the bad guy to uncover Well that much yeah.
2: Horrific. So that's the other thing too is like I do love the bravery of it. You know? I like the and the commitment. You you really have to commit to the character when you do that. Like you can't start laughing, you can't you know, you have to You have to really be that person. I, yeah, I auditioned for American Idol and character. That was fun.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What was it? What's the thing that like people, not necessarily the thing that people most know you for, but what, what's the thing you would want people to know, like know about you the most when it comes to one of your roles, something you've written, something you've directed, like what's the thing you would send everybody to go see to know more about you?
2: Well, even though it's not, even though it's really dark, I, I, well, I love kidding and I love togetherness. I like when I can show my my brain. I I, 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 I like improv because it uses your brain. But the short that I made um, with myself and Jason Ritter, um, I don't know. I, I I'm very close to that because I want my projects to be able to teach empathy for experiences that seem so foreign. And I think documentaries have just such a, a, an ability to do that. And I don't make documentaries, but that I feel like there's, there's a way to use the power of film narrative film that seems like a documentary, you know, mm-hmm. and then people can kind of watch. I like giving people a window into an experience and then, and then kind of understanding it a little more. I hope, I hope that's what my work does. Even when it's really quirky or whimsical, it's still, it's still, I'm still trying to, um, show something. And at the end of the day, like if I'm an actor, I'm trying to represent these people. Well, these fake people that I consider real, you know, if I'm playing a cancer patient, I want, I'm, I know I'm representing people with cancer. Like I'm not trying to like embarrass, you know, mock their, their experience, you know? And on this new show, I play this, like, you know, this girl that, you know, dates all the wrong dudes. And, you know, she's like hypersexualized and an immigrant and, you know, super fun and really funny. But like, I, I want to be able to show like the, the motivations for that or the trauma that would make the, the choices um, necessary for her life. You know, like I, I want to be able to to show all sides of a person so that people can see all sides of a person maybe.
1: I don't know. that's yeah, I mean, the greatness of of moving pictures, right? Whether it's a film or a TV show or even something on Netflix or Instagram TV, whatever it is, whatever the medium is, um, I think you're, you're able to show the depth of something and you're really able to show all sides of something, which you don't necessarily get that same um, depth when it comes to just a photograph or just a painting. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. Well, I don't know. I feel like I get so much from your homeless encampment Like that evoked so much for me when, when I saw the other, it made me think about when I was, I was driving by, I used to live by um, a lot of homeless encampments in Hollywood. And it's like, I, uh, people, uh, I think it's an easy trap to consider homeless people so much of like an other. And it's wild because when I was looking at the encampments, I was noticing like, oh, humans will always create their space even if it's bleak in a way that's comfy to them. And it's like such an individual thing. I don't know. There's something like so beautiful about that. It's like I, I just think about, oh, like what are what are these people saving? You know, I have a storage space right now because I keep filming out of out of um California. And when I go to the storage space, I know that one of the guys that's often at the storage space, like I'm pretty sure he's homeless, but he has a storage space. And I just think, oh, in that Five foot by five foot area, you have like the things that mean the most to you specific to you. I don't know. I find that
3: so I mean
1: it's still home for people and I think people don't realize that it's just because your your home happens to be a tent or happens to be, you know, a a makeshift home on the side of the street. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And they're all unique because people are unique. And
1: yeah, but I mean people are so quick to like you said, otherize them or not even acknowledge them. And it's in a time when we're, we're grappling with all these deaths from, from something like this virus. Yeah. You have three times, nearly three times as many people died last year in, in LA from um, just literally from the experience of being homeless, whether it was disease or um, drug overdose or things like that. Yeah. And nobody's talking about it. Nobody cares. People drive, I know. Not them, of course, but most people drive right by them and don't care.
3: It's the
2: sad uh, um, default kind of way of people being like, oh, it's not real unless it happens to me. But that's what I find so wild because homelessness is a mental health problem. It's like anyone can be homeless.
1: Absolutely. I mean, so <laughs> many people in America are a paycheck away from being homeless. And yeah, the numbers are rising right now. I know. I mean, so Look
3: but- at us. like we're, Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. But but that's like a
2: visual uh, thing that, that does show... It is so dynamic and shows so much uh, and evokes so
1: much. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with one more question, then I will uh, let you get back to life. But <laughs> what what are you looking forward to most in terms of your your career and something that you know that's going to come out that you're really really excited about?
2: Um, I'm super excited for um this really feminist wacky Boz Lerman esque script that I, um, I have really fancy producers for that hopefully will, um, will sell. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. and actually Michelle Gondry was so sweet and he set me up with his like whole visual effects team. And those guys were really supportive of me and that was nice. So I'm excited for that whenever that has a life. Um, but also I'm, I'm in that show on Netflix space force that comes out May 29th, which is so funny to me because it's literally based off of Trump's plan to have a space force. (laughs)
1: Is that where the name came from?
2: Yes, that's what it is. It's about Trump's Space Force.
1: Oh man, this is going to be good. <laughs>
2: yeah, and Steve Carell uh, is the lead and John Malkovich is in it. And I play like a surprise character and Greg Daniels who made The Office um, made the show. And other than the fact that it's just the greatest thing ever, um, I I adore that because my industry can have a lot of toxicity as any industry, but I I literally feel like I manifested them. I literally was like, I just want to work with only kind geniuses. And that's literally every single person on that set. Uh, And it says so much about Greg Daniels because like, man, from the top down, everyone is just so good at what they do and super kind and and beautiful. Sometimes I think kind people don't get the label of genius when they're supposed to.
1: Hey, my brother always says it's easy to be nice. So you gotta be <laughs> nice, you gotta be nice and a genius if you want to impress him. But sounds yeah. like both. So
2: they're they're amazing. Yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited for that show. And and Netflix is always fun to work for. Like working for Netflix.
1: Cool. Well, I'm I'm sure everybody will tune in. We got nothing better to do right now. So <laughs> I know. I'm excited. Sounds very veepish to me. So yeah,
3: <laughs> It's so fun. It's so weird. Yeah.
1: Um, well, I'll let you go. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time.
2: Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.
1: All righty. <laughs> bye bye.
2: Bye.
0: Hey, folks, it's Ethan from Love Extremist Radio again. Thanks for tuning in to this special episode of Conversations with Creativity, hosted by Phil America. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please write a review on iTunes and share it with some creative friends. We appreciate your love and support. Peace.